0: Whoa!
1: our program, Light of the East, is always pre-recorded. And today, as we are recording in our Light of the East studios here in the Chicago area, we do so on a very providential time, a very providential day, for two reasons. First of all, it is the feast in the Byzantine liturgical calendar of the priest-martyr Josephat. Josephat was basically, you could call him Ukrainian. He was a Ukrainian bishop who was martyred for the sake of unity in the church. In other words, he stood for unity between the Eastern Catholic churches and the Roman Catholic Church, you know, the Pope of Rome. This is in the 16th century, and he stood against any kind of disunity. He was being pressured for disunity between the Eastern churches in Rome and he was being pressured, especially by certain members of the Orthodox Church, which is not a reflection on the Orthodox Church. It's a reflection on those individuals who were basically were a bunch of thugs who eventually attacked him. And they they had their other reasons as well. There's always more than one reason when it comes to evil motives. And they attacked him, and he was killed, and they threw his body in the river. Eventually, it was rediscovered, and his body now is actually in a place of rest in St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. In fact, if you go there, you can see his body. It is clothed in the vestments, complete vestments, of a Byzantine Catholic bishop. And again, this happened in the 16th century. His name was Bishop Josephat, And his death occurred in the area of what we now call Belarus, but he was what we call Ukrainian. In the liturgical text for this day, they say many things about him, many beautiful things. One of those things is... Come, let us all celebrate in spirit with heavenly priestly words the memory of the great martyr Josephat, because he cleared the thorns of division, and with abundant virtue through the fruit of the sanctuary, he planted the teachings of salvation for our souls. Now, I read that prayer from the Byzantine liturgical services. This particular one comes from the evening service that would be on November 11th, the pre-festive of Josephat. I read that purposely. Because these words also apply to someone, and also the second reason why today's recording session is so providential for us here at Light of the East, and for me personally. These words also apply to a priest named Father Robert Taft. He was a Jesuit Byzantine Catholic priest, and today he's being laid to rest, laid to rest on this day of the Feast of Josephat, and I cannot help but see God's providence in this. Because, like Josephat, Father Robert Taft, this Jesuit Byzantine Catholic priest, devoted his talents, his incredible intelligence and integrity, his scholarship to unity in the church. Father Robert Taft was probably the most well known liturgical theologian of our time in terms of the Eastern Catholic churches. He was a Jesuit and he taught in Rome, also taught in Notre Dame, and he wrote. A number of books he was famous for the book called the great entrance which we'll talk about in a moment but father taft was a person who knew eastern theology eastern liturgy like probably no one else on earth and that's significant because the eastern liturgy of the orthodox churches those especially that follow the byzantine liturgical tradition those orthodox churches and the eastern catholic churches that also follow the byzantine tradition Their liturgies, their spiritualities, their feast days, their calendars are basically identical because the Eastern Catholics, of course, came from the Eastern Orthodox churches when they reunited with Rome after the Great Schism in 1054. So, Eastern Catholic churches and the Orthodox counterparts share the same identical spirituality, same identical liturgy, feast days, saints, and so on. And it is often said that If an Eastern Catholic really wants to be Eastern, why don't they just become Orthodox? Why do they have to be part of the Roman Catholic Church? Well, Father Taft, like St. Josephat, is a great witness, a great symbol to the beauty, the integrity of unity in the Church. Because Father Taft, being as knowledgeable as he was, he was probably as knowledgeable or more so than probably anybody on earth during the recent decades of the Church, East and West, and yet he remained faithful to Rome. He knew the Orthodox Church, he knew Eastern theology and spirituality so well, and he lived it. He just didn't study it. It just wasn't a head trip or study for him. He, he lived it. He prayed it. And he was passionate about passing it on to others, people like myself. You see, Father Taft is something like in the Orthodox Church recently, they had the passing of, not too long ago, of Father Thomas Hopko. These were the kind of luminaries that I grew up and was formed with, especially as a seminarian and young priest, and still even to this day. These were the men that were our heroes from the Orthodox Church and the Eastern Catholic Churches. These are the men that knew liturgy, that knew the Eastern theology. They were Orthodox or they were Eastern Catholic, but they both knew, they all knew, and they passed it on to us young whippersnappers, (laughs) us young up-and-coming. Some of them, some of the young guys were scholars. I am a perpetual student of Byzantine liturgy and spirituality. Don't don't necessarily call myself a scholar, but I'm constantly learning and passing what I do know on to you. But as we grew up and were formed, we we saw these men as our heroes. And so the passing of Father Robert Taft, in particular, most recently, in his burial today— is very significant to many of us of my generation. And to me personally, I had the privilege of knowing Father Taft. I even received some compliments from him. And in fact, I even was privileged enough to receive some reprimands from him, some challenges to something I said theologically. And at the same time, if you were right, he would tell you you were right. He would agree with you and support you. But if you were wrong, he would let you know about it. Father Taft was the quintessential, no-nonsense, not suffer fools very gladly kind of scholar. I mean he was he, he was really, really totally intolerant of anything that was not absolute razor sharp, authentic, precise scholarship. I remember many times at conferences where Father Taft was invited to speak, especially if he was on a panel discussion. And when somebody said something which you knew may have been a little bit iffy, and we saw Father Taft come to the microphone, we would say we better duck, because here it comes. (laughs) He, in no uncertain terms, let you know how you were wrong or not scholastically correct or honest. He was a brilliant, brilliant scholar, a great inspiration for so many. See, he came at a time in the church's history, which was during Vatican II and post-Vatican II, when there was a great resurgence and rediscovery of the whole world of Eastern liturgy. So he was, in a sense, a bit of a pioneer in that rediscovery of Byzantine liturgy. I'm talking about real scholarship, really digging deep into Eastern liturgy, really come to know its history, its development, and its value today. And Father Taft knew that well, and he spent his whole life, his priestly life, his Jesuit career, his Jesuit propensity for great scholarship, he spent it, dedicated it zealously for the historical study and the perpetuation the evangelization of eastern liturgy he saw the meaning of it, he saw the significance of it he knew it he taught it and he lived it and he was an absolute inspiration to all of us who are young i can't help thinking that for a man who studied and knew and articulated liturgy so well especially eastern liturgy that he is now taking his place along all the angels and saints in heaven who are at the ongoing heavenly liturgy. What he knew in a shadowy form on earth, he now, we presume and hope, knows fully in heaven. The liturgy on earth that he always spoke of was a reflection our participation in the heavenly liturgy. And now it is my thought, my hope, and I can certainly envision it, that he takes his place right alongside now that heavenly liturgy that he worked so hard to help all of us come to understand and to have a taste of while we're on this earth. His book on the Great Entrance was a very dense, very thick, very scholastic book about one one piece of Byzantine liturgy. This is the kind of a historian and scholar he was. He could write a very dense scholarly book about one aspect of the liturgy, the Byzantine liturgy. And we'll speak about that a little bit later later. But it is important to know, and oftentimes it, it helps our faith. It helps us to almost feel as though God is giving us a little wink from time to time. It's important to know that Father Robert Taft is being laid to rest today on the feast of a great saint in the Eastern Catholic churches who was dedicated to unity in the church. Both of them, St. Josephette and Father Robert Taft, could easily... Have broken union. They could easily yielded to the voices of, "Oh, come over to the Orthodox churches, break with Rome, be a real Eastern Christian." Now, not everybody in the Orthodox church says this, but there's a number of voices like that, and that creates some of the tension in ecumenical dialogue. Well, Father Taft, like the priest martyr Josephat, they knew, they knew they could have done that, they knew what was being offered to them, but instead they sacrificed that. Whatever was promised, whatever would have been in store for them, they sacrificed that and they both remained faithful. Father Taft gave up his life for unity in the church and the priest, bishop, martyr Josephat gave up his life even physically. He shed blood out of his devotion, his steadfastness of unity with Rome. When we return, we're gonna talk more about this great, great figure of our recent history in the Church, East and West, Father Robert Taft, and may his memory be
0: eternal. I'm Father Thomas Loia on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion, and to tell the story of the Eastern lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support in order to keep Light of the East on the air. You can make a donation now by going to ByzantineCatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. And then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep light of the East's illumination bright. This is Bold Talk with Father Thomas Loyal. We live in strange times, full of contradictions, many of which we create and then force upon ourselves. An example. To hear the rest of this and other bold talks with Father Thomas Loya, visit TaborLife.org and go to the main menu and click subscribe. subscribe. You're listening to
1: Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya, and I'm inviting you to Christmas on the Prairie. Come and hear the story of the real St. Nicholas and take a ride with him in his own
0: horse-drawn carriage. Saturday evening, December 1st, from 2 to 6 p.m., an indoor and outdoor family event. Experience the beauty of a Byzantine church, and homemade Christmas bake sale items are available. Christmas on the Prairie at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church, 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Saturday, December 1st, from 2 to 6 p.m.,
1: Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Lawyer, your host. We are dedicating our program today to the burial today of a great figure in the church east and west, but in particular a great figure in the eastern churches and a great figure in my own life and of people of my generation, especially priests. His name is Father Robert Taft. He's a Jesuit who passed on recently and today as we record this program on November 12th on the feast of St. Josephette, Father Robert Taft is being laid to rest, where he as a great Byzantine liturgist will hopefully, prayerfully, take his place with the angels and saints in the ongoing heavenly liturgy in heaven, a liturgy that he strove so hard as a scholar to give all of us a glimpse of this liturgy and of heaven that we find in the liturgy on earth in church. Father Taft, He emphasized very much that the liturgy on earth is a participation in the heavenly liturgy. That's actually what happens when we go to church, whether it's the mass or the Eastern liturgies. That's actually what's happening. We're actually taking our place together with the angels and saints as close as we can while we're on earth during the liturgy in the Eucharist. It's a reality. It really does happen in a mystical way. We may not think that or feel that, but it does. And this is the reality, the vision that Father Taft strove to help us see in his scholarly work on Eastern liturgy. I mentioned earlier that one of his great works was a book on the Great Entrance. Now, the Great Entrance is one part of the Byzantine liturgy. This is where the gifts of bread and wine are brought in a very solemn procession from a table that is in the sanctuary behind the icon screen, which divides the sanctuary from the nave in Byzantine churches. It's a table that is to the left, or what we call the north, of the main altar. And the gifts are there because they have been prepared in a separate rite of preparation prior to the divine liturgy. They rest on that table until at a certain point in the divine liturgy, the priest, the deacon, and the servers go to the table. They incense the gifts, which are covered with veils. This this would be the bread and the wine. And they take the bread and the wine in a solemn procession around the church through the people, eventually coming through the priest and deacon only, come through the central doors of the icon screen and reverently place the gifts on the altar. It is a common practice in Latin Rite churches to do what's called bringing up the gifts. Well, in the East, we we could say that it's bringing them around and up because it's a pretty solemn procession. They then will be on the altar for consecration, but they're ceremoniously brought to the altar in the great entrance. Now, it's called the great entrance because as Father Taft would teach, it started actually, centuries ago, this procession would actually start in a separate building. That separate building called a scale phallakion, I know it's a big Greek word, it was a building which they would actually prepare, especially at the time, the deacons largely would prepare the gifts. They would do this rite of preparation. Later on, it became something that the priests did and still do today. But they would do it in a separate building. And then at that point in liturgy, they would go to that building, the procession would actually go to that building and bring in the gifts in a great procession from outside into the main church. At that time, it was the case where the ranking hierarchy would enter into the liturgy, into the procession at that time. That's why they are commemorated by the priests and deacons as they enter and take part in the procession. So the gifts are brought in and they're not consecrated yet. They have been prepared reverently, and they've been incensed, but they're brought in in a solemn procession. And this was a very big and elaborate procession, especially centuries ago, especially in the great church of Hagia Sophia, which means Holy Wisdom. That's the church. It is the mother church of the Byzantine Rite. It is now in modern-day Istanbul, which at that time was Constantinople. Unfortunately, it was taken over by invading Muslims in the 15th century. It was turned into a mosque, but now today, it's a museum. Although they are uncovering a lot of the Byzantine iconography that was whitewashed by the Muslims and covered up for many centuries, and they are revealing more of the religious heritage of this building, but still to this day, it is not used as a Christian church. It's not really used as a mosque either. It is basically a museum. One day, hopefully, we hope that it will be returned to those who made that church and worshiped in it, who made that one of the grandest, if not the grandest church on earth for so long, the Church of Hagia Sophia, Holy Wisdom in Constantinople, now modern-day Istanbul, Turkey. Magnificent building, incredible building, how they could have done this back in the 6th century. And I remember an experience with Father Taft. We were on a tour and he was giving us an elaborate tour in detail of this great entrance. It was as though his book on the great entrance was coming alive. You could hear the excitement in his voice pointed out, well, this happened there and this would happen there and that happened at this point. Then they would do this over here. He was very excited about it and very, very knowledgeable and informative about that. He actually took us through the steps. They showed us exactly where this would have happened, what door would have come in, how they would have processed through Hagia Sophia. And during that time, the hymn is sung about the cherubim, the angels. And what we do in that hymn is we sing and we say to ourselves and to God, let us who mystically represent the cherubim become, in a sense, like them. In other words, we become and take our place alongside the cherubic angels in heaven, the cherubim. And we will take our place there and become almost like them. Yes, we're still human, but we become very much like them as we surround what would be Jesus Christ present in the church now." especially through the consecration of the gifts of bread and wine and calling down the Holy Spirit. So we really do take on this posture of the heavenly beings, the heavenly spiritual beings that surround Christ in the heavenly liturgy. This is how real Byzantine liturgy is, and this is one of the things that Father Taft would strive to teach people, to really give us the sense of what liturgy really is. During the liturgy, there is what's called in the Eastern churches the anaphora. Anaphora is sort of the meat of the liturgy. It's what the Latin rite would call the Eucharistic prayer. And I think it would certainly honor Father Taft to look at some of the prayers of the Byzantine liturgy in the anaphora. Anaphora means offering or what the West would call, as I mentioned, the Eucharistic prayers. That's the the real heart of the liturgy. And the Eucharistic prayers are very lengthy, but they're very beautiful. In most Eastern churches, they are taken out loud. They weren't always taken out loud at all times in history, but many scholars believe that originally they were, and now that has been restored in many Eastern churches, including mine. The prayers, as always, are not only beautiful and profound and theological and poetic, but they're also very pedagogical. They're basically a narrative of our faith and of church history actually, in terms of the saints and what God has done, you know, the history of God acting in history. And the anaphora essentially begins with the deacon. The deacon will make an explanation. He will say, let us stand aright, let us stand in all, let us be attentive to offer the holy anaphora in peace. And the people respond, mercy, peace, a sacrifice of praise. It was like a spontaneous response that then stuck in the liturgy to this day. Then the priest will turn around and bless everyone. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and Father, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with all of you. And then the priest will again say, let us lift up our hearts. The people say we have lifted up to the Lord. The celebrant then says, let us give thanks to the Lord. The people say it is proper and just. Then the priest begins a magnificent prayer. He says, It is proper and just to sing to you, to bless you, to praise you, to thank you, to worship at every place of your dominion, for you are God ineffable, inconceivable, invisible, incomprehensible, ever existing and ever the same. You were your only begotten Son and your Holy Spirit. You brought us out of non existence into being and again raised us up when we had fallen, and left nothing undone until you brought us to heaven, and gave us your kingdom to come. For all this we thank you, your only begotten Son and your Holy Spirit. For that we know that we do not know, for the manifest and the hidden benefits bestowed on us. We also thank you for this liturgy which you are pleased to accept from our hands, even though there stand before you thousands of archangels, tens of thousands of angels, cherubim and seraphim, 6 winged many-eyed, soaring aloft on their wings, singing, shouting, crying aloud, and saying the triumphal hymn. Notice, as I said before, the mention of the angels, thousands of angels, cherubim, seraphim, six feet, many eyes, throwing aloft on their wings. In other words, what we're saying is here God is surrounded by these celestial beings and yet we are being allowed to become part of them, daring to become part of the liturgy of heaven by way of the liturgy here on earth. This was the vision that Father Robert Taft, the Jesuit Byzantine Catholic priest, was so committed to to knowing, to studying, to living, and to imparting to all of us, especially the younger people like myself, who grew up in a sense idolizing great scholars like Father Taft. As we commemorate today in the Byzantine liturgical calendar the feast of Saint Joseph, who was a great martyr for the sake of unity in the church, so to do we remember Father Robert Taft, a modern day, a modern day towering figure of unity in the church. And may Father Taft's memory
0: be eternal. I'm Father Thomas Loia on Light of the East. To hear Light of the East again, visit ByzantineCatholic.com and click on the Features and Programs tab and on iTunes. Thank you for listening to Light of the East. We encourage you to tell a friend about Light of the East and to visit ByzantineCatholic.com. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. Catholic radio is, it's training for the troops. It's a inter-aural of the ear boot camp. The folks who listen, who grow in their faith, grow in charity, grow in all the virtues, they then go out and exert an influence far beyond just themselves.
1: Catholic radio has an exponential effect for bringing people deeper into the faith.
0: Dr. Ray Garindi thinks Catholic radio is important. So
1: should you. Thank you for listening.